Welcome to Starting Points, a Faith on Hill podcast. Starting Points is an overview of the major sections and books of the Bible from Genesis through Revelation. Today we are going to be looking at the book of Nehemiah. It's uh, an interesting book in that, generally speaking, the original Christians uh, left the Hebrew scripture as was received, uh, meaning that uh, the books of Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Psalms, the Proverbs, etc., we took them as they were given to us. The, the, the Hebrew scriptures that Jesus taught, that the apostles uh, taught and, and proclaimed with the gospel, we, we accepted them. Uh, and generally speaking, the church followed what's called the Septuagint translation, not because it was uh, considered more Christian, but it was the translation that was uh, in the most widely read language of the time, which was Greek. So that's where we got our Old Testament, the way that the books were ordered and all of that. Uh, we just received what was uh, the received scripture for the Jewish people. Nehemiah was not there. Oh, it was there, don't, don't get me wrong, but it wasn't there in the sense of there was no book of Nehemiah. Now, the, you know, you don't, you don't have to go far. I mean, this is like Wikipedia, right? I'm quoting from Wikipedia here. Uh, the book of Nehemiah is uh, in the Hebrew Bible, takes the form of uh, the memoir of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem after the Babylonian exile. Um, but, but basically, it was the book of Ezra. So, so if you were alive in Jesus's day and you were reading what we would think of as Nehemiah, you were actually reading the latter part of the book of Ezra. And then um, Christians started to separate the two books um, into different translations. And, and it was the first, it was first and second Ezra. Um, and then it became the book of Nehemiah. And it's understandable why that is, by the way, because when you read the book of Nehemiah, there is a a very noticeable shift from Ezra and his story to Nehemiah and his story. While they were contemporaries, um, they Ezra was older. Ezra had been working a little earlier. Nehemiah came a little later and did kind of a different thing. And the second part of the original, you know, Ezra and Nehemiah, that second part really does deal with Nehemiah. Um, and there is sort of a story cycle between the two books. And we talked about this when we looked at the book of Ezra. Uh, the, the story cycle is rebuilding the temple, purifying the people, rebuilding the wall. And so Ezra came and after the, the captivity in Babylon for 70 years and Jerusalem had been destroyed and uh, the people had been scattered. And he came and his group started rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem. And people were starting to return to following God in the Holy Land. Then Nehemiah comes along and Nehemiah says, hey, you know what? It's great that you've rebuilt the temple, but we need to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem so this is a safe city. We need to reestablish ourselves in this land because this is the land God gave us. So, so it kind of takes a shift and there is a debate about who wrote uh, Nehemiah um, Many think it was Ezra wrote the whole book. There is a tradition in, in rabbinical tradition that says that um, the second part of Ezra was written by Nehemiah, but that um, because of his position as an official 
of the uh, of the empire, the Persian uh, empire, that that he couldn't take credit for it. Now, I, I don't have any thought one way or the other to it. It really doesn't matter to me. We understand that there, it's one bigger story. It's divided into two parts. Um, it makes sense why it's divided. It does make for easier reading and all that. I don't think that matters so much. What's interesting to me, though, like I said at the beginning, we've largely left the Hebrew Scripture alone. The Old Testament, Genesis through Malachi, we've left alone. We, we took it as received. But even uh, the, the, the Jews and, and the rabbis, by the... Uh, excuse me, by like the, the mid-16th century, um, they had started to divide it up, first calling it the book of First and Second Ezra and then <laughs> Ezra and Nehemiah. So like they, they've even acknowledged like it makes sense to make that division. Uh, it doesn't change the authority of the book. It doesn't change its place in the word of God. Uh, it doesn't change the, uh, the story it's telling. It, it just makes it easier in terms of division and location. That's all. So you know, that's, that's the thing. Uh, I personally think that, um, you know, either side is fine. Um, that, that you could say that Ezra wrote the book and, uh, and you could also say like, you know, that Nehemiah wrote that second part. Uh, I don't, I don't really care. Um, you know, to me, what's more interesting is just what's in the book. You know, the first seven chapters are about rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. Uh, God provides a way for Jeremiah or for Nehemiah to go and rebuild the walls uh, there's opposition, but together with, with the, the people, they, they keep pressing forward. Uh, they face that opposition. And then um, <clears throat> in uh, chapter 7, uh, once the walls are rebuilt, uh, Nehemiah, who's a kind of a bureaucrat, you know, he starts to order and administrate. And so, you know, the people are counted. And then uh, chapters 8 through 13, there's revival and reform. And from uh, chapter 8, is this really famous scene where they, they just, Ezra, the priest, reads the Bible to the people. And some of them have never heard the Bible. They might have heard quotes from it. They have oral tradition, but they've never heard the whole Bible as they had it up to that point. And so Ezra reads the whole Bible, and the people oh, oh my goodness. This is why our forefathers were sent into captivity. This is why we, have, we find ourselves in this place, and they repent. And from that comes a revival. That's chapters 8 and 9, where the people really just start to turn themselves to following God. And from that revival in chapters 9 and 10, uh, there's reform in chapters 11 through 13. They start to change laws, and they start to change uh, ordinances and way things are done. This is interesting to me, because there are so many in, in the American Christianity who want the reform before the revival. They want uh, they want to see America's laws changed or, or shaped, and they want Christians in places of power and prominence, but they don't want the revival, that, that people's hearts need to be changed first. Not everybody, not everybody was on board with the reforms. Even among the Jewish people in those days living in, in Jerusalem and the surrounding areas, there were people who did not like the reforms that Ezra and Nehemiah were putting in place. But enough people had had their hearts changed that they were with them and they said, yes, let's do this. Reform comes after the revival. If you're looking on an individual level, if churches or Christians are looking for people to change and, and act right before there has been that personal revival of placing faith in Jesus, then we're just looking to make clean cut, nice looking, respectable looking heathens. On a collective level, if churches and Christians are looking to reform the culture, 
the community, the country, before there has been revival. There's no precedence for that in history. All you get at most is dead religion and oppressive institutions that masquerade as the church. And we've had enough of that in history. We've seen enough of church and state mixed together. It doesn't work, and you just have to look at Europe to see that it does not work. Now, one of the questions that we always ask on this podcast is, where is the human story in the book of Nehemiah? The human story to me is what can happen when someone says yes to God, that Nehemiah saw the need, and and God's stirring in his heart to move, and he says yes, and he steps out, and one person stepping out accomplished great things and stirred up others, and maybe that's what is going on right now, that God's calling you to step out in faith in some way, maybe in your family, maybe in your work, maybe in your community, that God's calling you to move forward in some way, and one person or a small group of people stepping out and saying yes to God, amazing things can happen. And that is a human story that is repeated over and over and over again. It's also the story of what can be rebuilt by faithful people when God's hand is upon them. The, the stories over the years of, of faithful people, people who are faithful to God, who step out and then start to rebuild what has been broken. Families, relationships, communities, churches, you know, God can do a lot as a few faithful people step out. It's also a story of what can happen when people say and respond and say yes to the word of God. That as people heard the word of God, Ezra wasn't up there being like, oh, you people. He just started reading the Bible. And as we have the Bible poured into our lives, what can happen as God changes us? Now, another question that we ask is, where are the landmines? And the landmines are, what are the things that are controversial? What are the things that um, people fight about? What are the things that uh, non-Christians really have a hard time with? What are the things that Christians don't understand? What are the landmines? The main landmines for the book of Nehemiah are found in the very last chapter, chapter 13. There are extreme actions taken. Remember we said that there was response as the word of God is read. There was revival as people's hearts were changed and they changed the whole direction and attitude of their lives. And there was reform. That reform was hard to take. Extreme actions were taken. For example, they started following the Sabbath again. They looked at the law of God and they said, we are not supposed to do anything on Saturdays. From sundown Friday to sundown Saturdays, the Sabbath. And there were these fifth fish sellers from the coasts who had always come, they would harvest their fish and then they would come and sell them in Jerusalem. And they kept coming. And so what they did was they passed a law, an extreme action, that the gates of Jerusalem were closed from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. So you couldn't even enter in. That's an extreme action. Sometimes people need extreme actions for change in their lives. When I was in Bible college, one of the conversations that would happen a lot is, are we in a Christian bubble? That is, we've walled ourselves out. And the Bible college had rules. Uh, You weren't, you know, there were rules of like you couldn't listen to certain music or, uh, you know, if it was found out that you were watching certain movies, you know, not bad ones, just movies, right? Like they weren't big on that. And and there was discussion about that because generally speaking, I think that there is a danger into like, isolating yourself, walling yourself off into some bubble. Uh, It's not reality. At the same time, I I remember that there were students who absolutely needed that bubble for a time in their life. 
that they, they were coming back to faith or, or coming to faith for the first time, and they needed a place to reset themselves. I know people, I, I know a pastor who I don't think became a Christian until about two months into Bible college. We were at Bible college at the same time. And, but he needed a place to just reset himself. Like he was, God was working in his life. It wasn't like he went to Bible college and then boom, something happened. God was working in his life, but he needed that place to just have a time away from everything to make a clear decision for Jesus. I know another guy who smoked his last joint the night before he showed up to Bible college. And it was kind of a go to Bible college or, you know, go to jail situation. Smoked his last joint the night before he went to Bible college. Smoked his last cigarette just outside the front gate. Walked in. And then he himself would say, I became a Christian three nights later. Sometimes you need that place away from everything. There's that movie Jesus Revolution that just came out. And I grew up in the group of churches that, you know, that movie's about. And one of the things that happened was that there were these, these hippies who were coming to, to, to faith in Jesus, but they came from places like Haight-Ashbury in San Francisco. And, and the thinking was, if they go back, like we're just throwing them to the, to the wolves. So the church rented these houses in the same neighborhood as the church. And they had these like kind of communal living situations for a while. But it was to basically like give them time to grow in their faith and get them out of the drug scene and all of that. These extreme actions need to be taken. I, I know a guy who took a, a, a hatchet, an axe, to his internet router because he was so tired of what he was looking at. You know, cutting off, cut yourself off from the person that's providing you the substances. Cut yourself off from the relationship that is dragging you down. Cut yourself off from the things that keep you from surrendering to Jesus. Extreme actions. But you know what? Some of those extreme actions come across as legislated religion. And also there was literally forced divorce because there were people who had intermarried with, with people that they should not have. And Nehemiah said, cast them out. Get rid of them. They are gone. He actually chased one of the priests out of Jerusalem because, because this guy was, was somebody who was just corrupt and, and linked in with all these groups and everything. These are landmines. And people say, oh, look at the Bible. It's full of these. They forced divorce. They separated families. They split them apart. There's legislated religion. Well, here's what I would say to that. Two things. First, the nation of Israel in the Old Covenant was a theocracy. Legislated religion was not just should be expected, but it should have just been a commonplace in that setup. America is not Israel. I don't think we should legislate religion. Now, can we legislate morality? Absolutely we do. When we say that murder is wrong, we are legislating morality. When um, I've heard people say that America has become immoral. I don't agree with that. I believe America is a very moralistic nation. We have just replaced a 50s pseudo-Christian morals for a modern pseudo-secular morals, but it's still very moralistic, and we are legislating morality. 100% we are. Don't kid yourself. So secular critics of the Bible who say, oh, see, there's just this legislated religion. Don't kid yourself. That's happening right now, sometimes by secular people. At the same time, I don't expect America or any nation to be a theocracy because God only established one, the nation of Israel, the original one, not the current one. This whole thing about forced divorce. This came up in the church 
when people became Christians and then they had a spouse who did not believe. And so the question became, what do we do? What do we do? And so <clears throat> what do we do is, is this. Uh, the apostles agreed about this. If the unbelieving spouse was willing to live at peace with the believing spouse, then they said, hey, it's fine. There's no problem. You know what? If they're willing to live at peace, then live at peace with them and pray for them and love them and show them Jesus. But if they leave, if they say, I don't want any part of this and they leave, then, then you're not at fault in that divorce and you're free to remarry. What was going on here in Nehemiah wasn't this case. These were people who were giving themselves to idolatry, who were not converting, and, and there was a way for a non-Jewish person to come into the community. And the Bible's full of those stories. Rahab, Ruth, I mean, there's a whole book of the Bible that's full of that. But they were not giving up their, their pagan practices. They were wanting to, to get the people to join in with them, and so they said, hey, no more. No more. If you, if you won't follow the ways of God in this city, then it's time to go. So understand what was going on there. There was choice and agency happening on the sides of the people that were cast out. Now, where is Jesus seen? This is the final question we always ask in this podcast. Where is Jesus seen? And I'll say this. The gospel is restorative. The good news of Jesus is restorative. Jesus rebuilds lives. He rebuilds families. He rebuilds, rebuilds relationships and can rebuild communities. And as Jerusalem is being rebuilt from the ashes, we see the picture of Jesus' restorative work. As the people turn their hearts to God and they cast off the idols and the old ways and the ways of, of the world, we see the gospel as Jesus changes lives and people say, we're done with this way of the world. We're done living like everyone else. We're done doing things our own way. We are going to seek to follow God. Jesus is seen. Jesus is still working. He's still active. He is still taking things and restoring them. He's still taking people and rebuilding them. And, and he is still doing the work of calling people to follow in his ways and in his paths and in his truths. I want to thank you for joining us for another episode of Starting Points. We continue to go through every major section, book of the Bible. New episodes are released, generally speaking, on Mondays. You can subscribe to Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Just search Faith on Hill. You can find the videos on our Facebook page. Just follow us at Faith on Hill on all social media. My name is Adam. I'm the pastor at Faith on Hill. And we'll see you again for another episode of the Starting Points podcast as we look at the book of Esther. <laughs>